My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Welcome to the barbell economy. Hey, that's my takeaway when I look at the retailers that reported this earnings season. The high end is working, the low end is working, but everything in the middle is struggling. We saw this dynamic play out once again today, a session where the Dow gained 102 points, most of it at the end of the day. S&P advanced 0.41%, NASDAQ climbed 0.57%. Now, consider what's working in retail. Dollar Tree, Dollar General, Walmart, Costco, and Target. Low end. As well as RH, the former Restoration Harbor, and Lululemon on the high end. Some people call it Lululemon, and they're wrong. Let's unpack these. Dollar General and Dollar Tree are bargain basement plays that cater to a vast cohort of Americans who are trying to make ends meet. Now, these companies are extraordinarily good at what they do. This morning, Oppenheimer published a very bullish piece on, on Dollar General, arguing that the chain has some of the best revenue growth momentum around. At a time when interest rates are slowing, meaning investors think the economy is getting weaker, well, guess what? This is a defensive holding. When retail's not so hot right now, Dollar Gen. Hey, Dollar Tree has got a similar story with, with an extra kicker. The acquisition of Family Dollar, which is finally starting to pay off. Oh, man. Companies remodeling its Family Dollar location, it's having a big impact on the numbers. This was no easy feat. I couldn't even bear to enter my nearby Family Dollar. I'd much rather go all the way out of the way to a more enticing Dollar Tree. I may not be the quintessential dollar store shopper, but I love these places. I go through sunglasses like there's no tomorrow. I lose them. I break them. I stab on them. So I just buy five for five, five classic-looking Ray-Ban knockoffs. Plus, Dollar Tree is the most nostalgic candy aisle on earth. Their stores are just plain fun. Shout-out, special shout-out to the Caltails family who sent me a big basket. I told them I bought a lot of Caltails at Dollar Tree. But what matters to us is that they're low-end retailers. Both these stocks were targeted by short sellers because they source a lot of merchandise from China. So the tariffs are expected to be pretty Painful. The house of pain. However, Dollar General and Dollar Tree are so fantastic at sourcing that they haven't had to sacrifice their margins. That's why both stocks are handily outperforming the averages right now. Dollar Gen up 26% and uh, nearly 26% and Dollar Tree up 20% for the year. Oh, that's terrific, right? The low end is in good shape. Same goes for the high end. Last night, RH. <laughs> Restoration Harbor, and Lululemon. They gave us a taste of the luxury market, and they each reported masterful beat and raise quarters. Lululemon's forecasting same-store sales growth in the low double digits. That's amazing, and it's all thanks to the company's innovation and its fabulous execution. This conference call was full of praise for sweat and stink. They really care about hard work when it comes to workouts. Lulu's digital business now accounts for 35% of its sales. It's more than double versus last year. Meanwhile, while Wall Street's fretting about the trade war, Lulu's opening 10 to 15 new stores in China where they're absolutely killing it. In fact, Lululemon's so popular that some of its products seem to have no price resistance. 
people will pay just about anything for their ABC pants. Sure, management made reference to port congestion and the need for air freight, but it all comes out in the wash if you're able to raise prices. And Lulu is exactly the kind of company that could afford to pass those higher costs on to you, the consumer. Best of all, according to Matt Boss, terrific uh, retail analyst JP Morgan, Lulu has a major untapped opportunity to put up new locations all over the globe. Hey, listen, at a time when other retailers are retrenching, closing stores all over the place, Lulu can't put up enough stores. I like that. And then there is Orange, the high-end home furnishings chain, formerly known as Restoration Hardware. I can't believe how strong their numbers were. Hence the staggering 15.8% run of the stock today. It was only a quarter ago that RH growth seemed to be drying up. But you can never count out CEO Gary Friedman. The company earned $1.85 per share when the analysts were only looking for $1.53. That's a colossal beat. Wall Street just expected RH to make $8.30 for the full year. Now Gary's saying he can do $8.76 to $9.27. More important, Gary, who we'll hear from tomorrow night in Mad Money. And Gary, good luck uh, with the, uh, I know you're a big Golden State Warriors fan. Um, he, we had learned that he can't afford to be complacent uh, because he, has, he was very worried about sourcing from China. And he understood maybe he had to change things up. When we pulled up with him at this museum of furniture, as I call it, in New York's meatpacking district, a store that he said, get this, would do comfortably in excess of $100 million in sales, one store? He told us he had no choice but to continue doing a huge amount of business in China. Nobody else can really compete with the Chinese on price or quality, he explained. Well, that was then. This is now. On the latest call, Gary said that he's moving, quote, certain production and new product development out of China, plus exploring new partnership and expanding our own manufacturing facilities in the U.S. Trump stock. Trump stock. He doesn't want to be caught in the tariff crossfire. Oh, and it doesn't hurt that his customers don't seem to mind paying up. Listen to what he said about Trump's latest tariff hike. Quote, we have negotiated product costs and selectively raised prices to mitigate the increase of the, uh, of the increase from 10 to 25 percent. Yep. Those new tariffs are already embedded in RH's guidance, something most companies haven't done and has really killed a lot of stocks. How certain is Gary of the company's long-term trajectory? Here's some staggering figures. This man bought back 2.2 million shares at $115 a pop just this quarter alone. At this point, RH has now retired an astounding 66% of its float over the last few years at an average price of $61.44. It's like the company's gradually taking itself private. While other retailers bemoan that the week's second quarter, uh, they didn't put up the numbers, Gary quoted about it because the stock market bounced back and is high in business response to stock prices. People are more likely to buy fancy furniture when they feel wealthy. The action in RH, just like Lululemon, tells you that the rich are doing just fine. Meanwhile, the companies in the low end, like Costco, I know some of you always see the Mercedes and the BMWs there, but it's still a, it's a cheaper place to shop. Walmart, you know, it's got the pipes. It's not, it's not luxury looking. Walmart, Target, they're also in good shape. All three of these companies have the scale to dictate prices, even to the Chinese. They all represent a bargain for the consumer. They're all working. I think they all go higher. Who's doing badly? The middle class of shoppers who buy things from the mall. These mall stores are falling by the wayside. Macy's has missed quarters and then made them, but no one seems to care because it's been written off as a hapless mall-based department store. You know, we went to the flagship Herald Square store recent, recently and marveled at the company's ingenuity, but it didn't matter. Nordstrom missed again. Hey, shocker. Even the usually reliable Kohl's got rocked, but stores that seem to be losing customers by the polos. The stock had been eviscerated, but I think Michelle Goss, the CEO, can turn things around. 
I, some people think I'm too optimistic. That's the nature of this barbell economy. If your customers are wealthy, you can raise prices and do just fine. But everybody else is gravitating toward the low-end chains that offer better bargains. And that's crushing the vast middle class of the retail industry. It's the same reason that Amazon keeps putting up great numbers. The bottom line, when you look at what's working in retail and what isn't, well, it paints a pretty darn Dickensian picture. There's a market for high-end luxury goods and low-end mass-market merchandise. But right now, there's not much space in between. Let's go to Sip in New York. Sip. Jim Booyah from Manhattan. How are you today? Great to have a Manhattanite. Rarely do. Doing fine. How about you? Rarely do. Hey, last time we spoke, you said you were going to buy me a drink at Bobby Vance if my Mazor got bought out my Medtronic. How about that? Well, okay. Well, I owe you one. I owe you one. Okay. Listen, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite cloud companies in the world, one of my four horsemen. Alteryx, ticker AYX, picked up the stock around $90 a couple weeks ago, bought a little bit more on the dip last week at 80 Luckily, Google bought out an analytics company. Right. Even more luckily, Tableau was acquired by Salesforce. Right, right. Now, stock moved up almost 27 points from 80 to 107 Closed at 102 today. Do you think this stock has a lot more upside? I do. I do. Now, it's it, look, it's look, Altars is a lot like Zscaler and it's like Zendesk. It's even like Okta. I mean, these are stocks that people don't really understand. You do. They do tend to just go higher and higher. Uh, I would tell you, know, you've got a trade going there. I would take some off. But that company's good. By the way, I want to warn people. If you go to www.altarix.com, it follows you everywhere if you fill it, if you fill in the stuff like I did because I had them on. I mean, it's like, holy cow, that thing follows me everywhere. So please, Altarix, could you just stop following me? I did it to learn about the stock, not to be able to get the product. I mean, every time I pick up, it's like, did you alter Have you Altarix? Altarix. Anthony and Marilyn Anthony. Yeah, hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank yeah. you so much for dedicating your energy to helping small investors. Oh, thank you, man. That uh, is my... the game plan. That is the game plan. Yeah. We are not just yeah, to help well, Stan Druckenmiller. We're not just here to help that fellow who bought the $38 million apartment in New York. Why do you do something like that? I mean, you know, I'm not asking you to live in a youth hostel, but all right, go ahead. All right, I'm interested in your thoughts on Micron Technology, um, MU. It, although it faces stiff competition among the chip, chip makers, yeah. Been following it for a long time. It's priced almost 20% below the book value, PE ratio of less than 3.5, well below the group sector, and earnings per share well above the. Uh, well, that's because they're uh, not going to make the numbers. And here's what's going to happen uh, Broadcom's down big tonight because they cut numbers. So Micron's going to probably hit, which is at 33, will probably hit 31 tomorrow, and you can buy all you want. And you know what? Maybe you should. Okay, let's go to Gregory in a state that's being decimated by job losses, Connecticut. Gregory. Hi, I've had uh, DuPont since uh, 2000, had about $45 a share. You recently said that the Dow DuPont merger was not a good idea. One, why? And two, should I sell my split up shares of the new Dow? Okay, I understand that uh, it was because Dow itself has been very disappointing. Uh, but the reason why it's been disappointing is it looks like it's more oil linked than I thought. Um, Mr. Liveris, who used to run it, always said it wasn't. That turned out to be wrong. DuPont, by the way, has a, has a food division that I think could come up with a superior meatless burger. Stay tuned. All right, the stores came to the super haves and the super have-nots are the winners. And that's a microcosm for the market. 
and maybe even for the country. On Mad Money tonight, two analysts center, but only one leaves. Don't miss an epic showdown over the fate of Capri Holdings. Plus, as I always say, there's a bull market summer, and tonight I'm eyeing one that's emerged in an unassuming space. I'll reveal. But first, the fake beat wars are heating up. I'm eyeing the major player now that Tyson Foods says it's getting into the mutant meat game. Although they would probably say, have a plant game. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Today, Tyson Foods, the Goliath of meat and poultry, told us they're challenging Beyond Meat, the David of Ursat's burgers. Tyson's rolling out their own plant-based alternatives, and you got to wonder if a tiny money-losing operation like Beyond Meat can stand up to them. The answer? It depends. Are we talking about Beyond Meat, the company, or Beyond Meat, the insanely hot stock? I think Beyond Meat, the company, is the real deal. CEO Ethan Brown and his team have spent 10 years developing the ideal plant-based burger. You could almost forget it's not real meat. And he's willing to put his product to the test taste, test, uh, test it against any any others, all comers, do it right here. I know I initially misjudged the love for this product, which was like Tesla and that it gave Beyond Meat a huge cult following right out of the gate. Now, on Squawking the Street this morning, I questioned whether Tyson has the DNA to match Beyond Meat with its new, what's called, raised and rooted plant-based offerings. Don't get me wrong. I've been behind Tyson for ages, even when it wasn't that good, uh, ever since I figured out that the millennials can't get enough protein. Stock has lately been a fantastic performer, aided in part by the swine flu epidemic in China that's bolstered the demand for their pork. Still, I think Beyond Meat is the upper hand when it comes to fake meat. I'll see Tyson the plant-based chicken nuggets category, which is huge. I bet the stock will get a boost when the company struts its stuff at the analyst meeting next week. But actually beating Beyond Meat is another story. I grew concerned when Tyson cashed out of the 6.5% stake in Beyond Meat before the IPO. How could they misjudge the stock so badly if they weren't also misjudging the whole category? Could they be like McDonald's, which at one point owned 90% of Chipotle, but then spun off the rapidly growing Mexican chain for a pittance because well, later on we heard they viewed it as a distraction? However, after doing some more digging in, yes, speaking to Tyson, I have to admit that there might be more to their latest initiative than I thought. Why? Well, this morning, the analysts were talking about blended meat products from Tyson, something I think could be just, eh, you know what I mean? Tyson plans to actually unveil their 100% plant-based burger, and they have a lot of faith in the thing. Second, their distribution and scale are unrivaled. Third, the demand for this stuff is so strong, I'm betting Tyson and Beyond Meat can coexist in this category. This is explosive. Of course, we haven't had a chance to taste Raisin Roots burgers yet. Hmm. Raisin Root a burger, please. While I like Beyond Meat, I prefer the Impossible Burger, and I eagerly await the new entry from Nestle, having had the old entry that I didn't care for. However, Impossible uses genetically modified ingredients, just GMOs, and I worry that that could be a big no-no in this business, particularly among the, uh, the millennials who care about everything that is like everything. That was... That was really well said. So let, let's wait to taste what Tyson has to offer. We know Beyond Meat stock has flown way too close to the sun. So maybe Tyson can bring the share price down. But Beyond Meat, the company, face it, 
It's here to stay. Peyton in Georgia. Peyton! Well, this is her dad, Jeff. She has her own investment account, and she would like to ask you a question. Sure. Hey, hey, this is Peyton. I'm 11 years old, and I live in Georgia. I wanted to know about the about Kroger. I want to know if I should I should keep it or sell it. Well, first of all, I mean, can I just say that I've had a long couple of days, and Peyton is a breath of fresh air in my day, uh, and I'm glad you're following the stocks. This is a tough one. Because you're 11, I'm going to have to say no. I think you should sell it. Why? Because you have your whole life ahead of you. You should be buying a stock like a Dexcom, something that's just got multiple years ahead of it. Buying something that's really, really got an NVIDIA, something that I would tell you has a bright long-term future because you've got a lot of time on your hands before you ever need the money. All right, and Peyton, thank you. Peyton from Georgia, too. Tyson's moving to the alternative meat space is a wait-and-see situation. It may be able to bring Beyond Meat stock down, but not the company. Hey, oh man, money tonight, Capri Holdings may have fallen from grace, but is it only up from here? I'm assessing. Then I found a couple of stocks in the sweet spot of a raging bull market. Don't miss my take. And a key conference took place this weekend. I'm getting some highlights from the CEO of, yes, there we go, Dexcom. So stay with Kramer. We had a real beauteous in the eye of the beholder moment last week when Capri Holdings, the company formerly known as Michael Kors, which also owns Jimmy Choo and Versace, held its analyst day last Tuesday. We got some insanely disparate reactions from the analyst community. Some loved it, some hated it. They were definitely not on the same page. Now, I'm always thrilled when we get this kind of dueling situation among the analysts because you can pit their arguments against each other and then we'll become a better investor. You become a, have a better understanding of both the company and the stock. So let's go over why Capri Holdings got such varied reactions after its analyst meeting. It's a lesson in context, and it's a teaching moment. But most importantly, it's one of the brands everybody knows. So let's figure out whether it's any good or not. The first thing you need to understand is that this stock is a... The House of Pain. That's right. Last summer, Capri peaked in the mid-70s. Now it's at $33 and change. That's not a two-for-one split. When the company last reported at the end of May, the actual results were pretty strong. But the guidance for the next quarter was downright putrid, and the stock, it got annihilated. The problem for Capri Holdings, in a nutshell, is that Wall Street no longer is willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. When the old Michael Kors snapped up Jimmy Choo in 2017, moving into luxury footwear space, investors cheered and the stock surged higher. But when the new Capri Holdings announced it would be buying for Versace last summer for a pretty penny. The stock pretty much peaked. It plunged from 72 to 66 of the news. And you know, it hasn't seen those levels again. Why so much skepticism here? In part, it's because Capri is moving too rapidly for some people. They decided to acquire Versace less than a year after the Jimmy Choo deal. At the same time, they paid a fortune for Versace, and many investors worried that the deal didn't make sense even at a lower price. Now, at the same time, Capri had terrible timing. They announced the Versace deal right before the economy peaked and the stock market broke down in the fourth quarter. Since then, the stock has just been outright obliterated. It's the point where it's actually become absurdly cheap, if you ask me. Right now, Capri forecasts that will earn $4.95 per share in 2020 fiscal year. That means the stock is selling for less than seven times earnings. Well, that's like steel mill-like. And whenever you see something trading at such a low level, you have to think something. You have to assume that Wall Street doesn't believe that they can make the numbers. It's the only justification for that low price earnings multiple. Investors are worried that Capri Holdings might turn out to be what we call a value trap. They think the guidance may be too optimistic and the numbers might need to come down further. 
However, when you actually look at the recent results, Capri has beaten Wall Street's earnings estimates in eight of the last eight quarters. Even when their sales are weaker than expected, the earnings are solid. But whether it's from the Versace deal or the challenges faced by the old Michael Kors brand or general disdain for the accessories category, think Apple Watch against them, the stock hasn't been able to attract many adherents. While Capri had some ambitious long-term targets, they were talking about $8 billion in total sales, up from just over $5 billion in the latest fiscal year, there was very little clarity on how the company would actually get there. Even if you believe management's forecast, there was no roadmap for where it had to go. That's the context you need to keep in mind going into last week's analyst meeting. And it's, it's why people had such polarized reactions. Capri CEO John Idle, who's very, very, I'd say, astute observer of the fashion world, finally gave us some clarity. He gave us the roadmap, but not everybody liked his plan. He gave specific targets for each of his three brands. He explained how they get there. Putting it all together, the company believes it can deliver mid-single-digit revenue growth next year and the year after with stabilizing operating margins and double-digit earnings growth. Now, if Capri can hit those numbers, then the stock is a total steal right here. Less than seven times earnings for a company with double-digit growth? That doesn't make sense. That's an incredible bargain, people. On the other hand, if Capri can hit those numbers, well, there's a lot less to like, so it all hinges on whether or not to buy what management is selling. And I'm not talking about the merchandise. I'm talking about the estimates. Not everyone is on board. Roxanne Meyer at MKM Partners slashed her price target from $52 to $40 in the wake of the meeting. Her reasoning, well, listen to this. While hypothetically there should be an attractive runway for sales and margin growth at both Jimmy Choo and Versace, some aspects of the strategy are easier to execute on, such as opening new stores, while others will take time and could yield mixed results, such as expanding handbags for Jimmy Choo, end quote. Meyer continues, in the meantime, sales and margin stability may be tougher to come by at Michael Kors, given the tough wholesale environment, ongoing weakness in watches, and lack of stability in accessories, while it is an investment year in Versace. In other words, she thinks Capri is being fabulously optimistic. Investment year, always a bad sign. There are a lot of moving parts here, a lot of things that can go wrong, and neither Coors nor the Versace brands are in great shape at the moment. Oh, and I, I, I do expect no improvement in watches. I think she's right. That was once a very powerful segment, but again, competition from this has gutted the segment. I use, This is the one I've been using. The other day I used the one that was like Toy Story. Oh, that's the breaking news thing. Um, how about this one? It's like completely exposed. Anyway, by the way, I, I, had, I pressed the wrong button and music went off in a big meeting. All right, anyway, other analysts take a much more even-keeled tone. Matthew Boss, the phenomenal retail analyst at J.P. Morgan, explained that the, that the company, it's in show-me mode. Piper Jeffrey was guidedly optimistic, saying they believe management, but also acknowledged that the Michael Kors brand has some real problems, especially in luxury handbags. And some were extremely bullish, uh, like uh, Randall Koenig at Jeffries. Right after Capri's announcement, he published a report titled, Buy This Compelling Lux Brand Portfolio. His rationale? Well, he was willing to give management the benefit of the doubt. He says so himself. We believe management's financial targets are achievable and beatable. And with shares trading at less than seven times earnings, we urge investors to aggressively buy shares, end quote. Yep, he actually thinks Capri is being conservative with some of these targets. He sees an enormous opportunity for Versace in footwear and thinks Capri still has the potential to unlock major cost savings from its recent acquisitions. He describes Coors, Jimmy Choo, and Versace as powerful brands with high margins that can go higher. And if that's the case, Capri stock is indeed ridiculous. Cheap. Okay, so where do I come down? Now, I do think that Jeffries is being a little too optimistic, but in general, you know what? I'm going to side with the bulls in this one. 
My reasoning is very simple. I like the risk reward here. I didn't like it higher, but here, even if the bears are right, I think that they'd already baked that into the stock. But if the bulls are right, Capri could have some spectacular upside. Easy call. Plus, as I I, I add a bonus, I actually like management's vision. Capri is now a house of brands, and I really like that the Chinese consumer seems totally enamored of Versace. You know, when I was in Milan for uh, for Fashion Week, well, I sure don't sound like Jim Cramer, but when I was in Milan for Fashion Week, I I went to the Versace, uh, Jesus, their showroom. Uh, The stuff was, was, you know, my wife didn't like it, but I thought it was kind of wild and crazy, which I like. Bottom line. Capri Holdings has come down so far so fast since last September that when you see a split decision from the analyst community, I think you need to side with the bulls. The company finally has measurable goals that they can evaluate against, and they merely need to deliver on those targets for the stock to go much higher. Uh, Worst case, management drops the ball and Capri continues to get a little lower valuation, and maybe an activist comes in and suggests some changes too. I like that too. Aaron in Kentucky. Aaron! Hey, Jim, big booyah from the bourbon capital of the world. How are you doing today? Well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm more of a Scotch guy, but I could go for bourbon uh, after the show with you. What's going on? I like it. So, hey, I'm an early 30s investor asking about Canada Goose. So, after the myth in revenue and lower guidance over the next three years, is it still a good long-term play at this price? Okay, I have I have struggled mightily over what really happened there with Danny Reese. I thought Danny was just being conservative, and I agree with you. I think that a $4 billion valuation for Canada Goose is too low. I am willing to say that Danny's going to deliver. He was not quarter to quarter. He told me I should think year to year. I am with you down here at 36. I'm saying, okay, Capri's come down so much that I think it's time to side with the bulls. Much more mad money ahead, of course, including the, the big bull market that you may be missing. I'm going to reveal it just ahead. I really like this one. Then the company with a futuristic weapon in the fight against diabetes, but also in the fight against Abbott, which is a really good company. I'm going to show you how, let's say, uh, how it's saving lives. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. You know, I am always on the hunt for the next bull market. And right now, there is a raging bull in the life sciences space, in particular, the life science instrument makers. They've caught fire here, especially the largest players in the group, Thermo Fisher and Danaher. So we've got to ask ourselves, what's driving this move? And more importantly, can it maintain its momentum? Some of this has to do with the rotation. When Wall Street starts worrying about a slowing economy, money managers naturally gravitate into the stocks of consistent companies that can keep putting up strong numbers, even in a recession. That's the life sciences industry in a nutshell. And it's why these stocks have taken off in recent weeks. The thing is, rotations go both ways. If the Fed decides to breathe new life in the economy next week by cutting interest rates, well, these same recession-proof stocks, they could sell off. But that's not necessarily a bad thing for you. Thermo Fisher and Danner have exploded higher here, and I think they're absolutely worth buying. And if you get a pullback off the Fed, wow, do it. Why? Because while the stocks are benefiting from rotation right now, there's more to this story than that. These are two incredibly well-run, fantastic management companies that are firing on all cylinders, which makes them, which makes them incredibly, incredibly good long-term investments. Let me walk you through I'm going to start with TMO, Thermo Fisher. This is up 28% year-to-date. Here's a company that makes all sorts of advanced 
medical equipment. Now, I always describe them as an arms dealer to pharma and biotech. And by the way, the company never seems to mind that I call them that. Now, this industry's got a lot going for it at the moment. As Barron's pointed out, in a terrific piece at the beginning of the year, life science is one of the few sectors that still enjoys broad bipartisan support in Washington. Science funding is being cut all over the place, but the National Institutes of Health actually boosted their life science budget by 5% this year at a time when the managed care stocks and the, and the drug stocks could become political footballs, which is a nice way of saying it. Everyone on Wall Street is worried about the impact of single payer if a Democrat other than Joe Biden wins the nomination. The life science stocks, well, they let you sleep at night. Meanwhile, pharma and biotech companies spend fortunes to buy tools that will help them with research and development because obviously they need new drugs keep that pipeline going. But they're not just in the right place at the right time. Well, Thermo Fisher is an enormous, I can't believe that it's gotten to this $114 billion company with exposure to a ton of different businesses. They have a long history of actively managing the portfolio. For example, in late January, the company sold this anatomical pathology division, which where they make microscope slides. They didn't want to be in that anymore for $1.14 billion. This was a more commoditized business, which is why management wanted to move away from it. Margins going lower there. Two months later, Thermo Fisher told us it was acquiring Brammer Bio for $1.7 billion. Now, this is a much more proprietary, more specialized business. Brammer Bio is a viral vector contract development and manufacturing play, and management expects the deal to be additive to earnings within the first full year of ownership. They closed on it about a month and a half ago. Now, neither of these moves I know are big enough to make a huge difference, but they illustrate Thermo Fisher's priorities. The company's betting heavily on its most lucrative end markets, like individualized medicine. That's what all these little biotechs are about biopharmaceutical services. Now, when we spoke to Kramer Fave CEO Mark Casper in March, he was very optimistic about the opportunities in precision medicine. So we have a really exciting portfolio of products that come out of that very large R&D investment. One area that we're excited in is precision medicine, and our sequences have done really well in helping doctors identify the right therapy for an individual specific type of cancer. So that's an area that's really been a, a focus for us. That guy is money. I like him so much. So Thermo Fisher makes lots of little acquisitions in red-hot areas. Then it accelerates the growth and scales up the businesses once they're under the TMO umbrella. And that's how these guys have been able to put numbers up, fantastic numbers, time and again. Coming this year, Thermo Fisher had a high single-digit organic growth rate, and they've been able to maintain that. Then at its analyst day a couple of weeks ago, management raised its long-term organic growth forecast for uh, 2020 to 2022. They're predicting mid- to high single-digit numbers for the foreseeable future. What? A horse. All right, there's a, you know, some of the bears are saying it's a fly in an ointment here. They get about 10% of their sales from China. However, as Casper told us in March, the company's machines are so valuable that they're in a position to dictate terms to the Chinese. Nobody's fretting about what the trade war means for the life science industry. And I do believe, by the way, uh, for the record, that the Chinese are behind us in this. I know everyone thinks the Chinese are ahead of us in everything. No. Okay, right now the stock trades at 21 times next year's earnings. That's actually not bad. It's reasonable. I'd like to see it, obviously, at lower levels to tell you to go buy it. But anything can happen to give the economy a boost. You'll get that chance. Thermo Fisher will likely be a victim of rotation out of the safety stocks into more cyclical stocks. So I buy some here and then be ready to buy some more at lower levels. That's right. I'm greenlighting a buy here tomorrow. How about Dan or her DHR? If Thermo Fisher is succeeding in part because it's aggressively pivoted into the biopharma space, you got to wonder what that means for Dan or her, the healthcare technology conglomerate it's just buying GE's biopharma unit for $21.4 billion in cash. 
By the way, they raised, they did it secondary, and the stock went right up after the secondary. It was a fabulous opportunity. I like this situation. Danner has a great track record when it comes to making acquisitions, and I'm betting this one will be just like all the other terrific deals they've done. Uh, they have a whole system that lets them turn good businesses into great ones. That's one reason the stock's up a staggering 35% for the year. I think Danner could have even more upside. But again, you know, how about buy some here and then wait for the pullback? And look, it's not just the big boys. There have been tons of smaller winners in the life science space. I mean, that, that's why I want to give you a kind of a stealth play on the industry. So how about this one? A van tour. Have you seen this? It's a chemical company. It just came public on May 17th. Oh, I love this kind of stock. The IPO priced at 14 Stock didn't generate much excitement, opened at $14.50. By now, though, it's rallied to $18 and change, and I bet it's got more room to run. I loved all the analyst recommendations this week. Why? Because the quiet period ended, and you know what? I think there's even more people who want to come out with bullish coverage. This may be a chemical company, but it is a chemical company that supplies the life science industry. I think it's worth having on your radar. Candidly, it was boring. Um, I got up, I was reading at 3.30 in the morning, and I did think, boy, I should go back to sleep. But I shook it off. Here's the bottom line. The life science stocks have caught a fire. And while some of that has to do with rotation, what's really going on here is Thermo Fisher and Dan Herr are both incredibly well-run companies that are kind of in the sweet spot right now. I think you can buy some here. You buy some more lower. And yes, they are that good that I am recommending them even after these incredible outsized moves. Higher. Bye, bye, bye. Georgia, Georgia and Florida? Or Florida and Georgia? Georgia? Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Georgia, great to have you geographically on our show. What's up? Hey, Jim, it's about my favorite, favorite stock, Exact Science. Okay. I just bought it for the third time about a month and a half ago. I can't believe how much it is climbing. Have you heard any good news on it or anything? Yeah, the the health insurers are all going for it. Now, that was something when Kevin Conway first came on was not clear. Now it is clear. It is very clear. And this thing may not even be done going higher. I hope that Kevin comes out with some more things for some more different illnesses. He's, he's terrific. All right, the life, you know, people keep betting against him. That so far has been a fool's game, may I say. The life science stocks have caught fire. Thermo Fisher and Danaher are buys. Some here and some lower. And their money is back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time for the lighting round. Let's start with Todd in Texas. Todd. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my stock is uh, Mercer International. You know, I think that that's a very tough business, and I have to say, hold off. I mean, anything paper, I mean, I'm like, after just getting annihilated in West Rock, I know people will say it's not exactly the same, but it's too close for comfort for me. Drew in Georgia, Drew! Hey, Kramer. <laughs> I'm, I'm at a standstill with Lithium Holdings, L-I-T-E. Oh, uh, Lamentum. No, no, you guys, we're taking on way too much risk there. We got enough problems with the blue chips. That one is too risky. Glenn in Indiana, Glenn. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Synapsis, SNPS. Computer Edge Design doing incredibly well. The stock has just been a major, major tear. Uh, I, I like it very much. Let's go to James in Connecticut. James. Booyah, Jim. Whoa, Thank you what's very up much there? I'm taking my phone call. Of course. I'm interested in buying Home Depot stock. 
I'm going to say Maybe yes to that, but it's a bit of a roller coaster. We on it for the Chapel Trust. And I tell uh, club members yesterday in a big call, look, it's just going to go up and down and up and down, but overall going to end up higher than lower. Bo in Florida. Bo! Booyah, Jimmy, coming to you live from Palm Beach, Florida. My question is about ticker symbol NEO. Buy, sell, or hold on this one, Jimmy. You know, after the metadata, uh, the clinical laboratories are so hot. I also like I also like uh, Charles River. I think you're fine. Let's go to Brandon in Arizona. Brandon. Jim, booyah. booyah. Brandon. And I am fired up. Okay. I'm in Phoenix. Uh, I have a... Um, Tell me if I should hold this secret or not. If it's still a secret, beginning the diversification ball. Should I hold here? Uh, ball Corp, there's should a duopoly now. I mean, the government should never let all these different glass companies merge. Uh, all, I'm sorry, all the different metal packaging companies merge. This is just a total windfall. You want to own this stock. It's just a huge win. How about we go to Rob in Nevada? Rob. Cuddler days. Yeah. First time caller. Okay, first time caller, but Cuddler days, right. Um... The, uh, anyhow, my, my stock has a P.E. ratio of 10.6. I uh, have a steady dividend for the last more than five years, a current yield of almost 4%. I'm up 12% in the last month since I've owned it. My stock is Olin Corporation. Okay, O-L-N. Olin's still commodity. Olin's still commodity. I'm not going to get behind it. The old days, I used to like it. I, I, it's nay now for me. Sorry. Let's go to uh, Tom in North Carolina. Tom. Hi, Jim. This is Tom. And uh, I have a question with the acquisition of Aris Complete. Uh, where do you see Comscope going? Nowhere. I wouldn't own it at all. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. <laughs> the Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. know what happens when something goes very right for a medical device company? I want you to look at Dexcom. It's the maker of continuous glucose monitor, CGM, little sensors that measure your blood sugar. This technology has been fantastic for people who suffer from diabetes. It means they don't need to prick their fingers constantly to check their blood sugar. And this weekend at the big American Diabetes Association meeting in San Francisco, we learn more about the future of Dexcom's devices. Their glucose monitor can be used in combination for insulin pumps uh, from Medtronic, you know we like that company, and Tandem Diabetes. Remember we had them on with the two devices working together to form something like an artificial pancreas. And that's why the stock has rallied 21% since the conference started last Friday. Could it have more room to run? Let's take a closer look with Kevin Sayer. He's the president, chairman, and CEO of Dexcom to learn more about these latest developments. Mr. Sayer, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Kevin. How have you Good been? Good to see you. Good. Thank you. Jim. Thank you. Well, you. I mean, I think that you guys may have been the hit of this big conference and this idea of putting you together with other outfits, say, to come up with the artificial pancreas. Well, this is kind of the holy grail of what we would have thought impossible just a few years ago. Tell us about the big parade of people who were around Dexcom to get things done. You know, uh, this show really showed that our vision in diabetes uh, really can come to fruition. Our system's interoperable with numerous platforms. One announcement from a group that's trying to develop an artificial pancreas-type tool to pair with numerous pumps, so kind of a, a utility Right. Uh, algorithm uh, was announced, and that's how our system would pair with a Medtronic pump. Two of our other partners, Tandem Diabetes and, and Insulet, showed tremendous clinical results with their systems, with algorithms, and paired with our glucose sensor. These tools will make patients' care of their diabetes much easier in the future and deliver great outcomes. Now, where are you in terms of, you always seem to have a new iteration. You've always come up with new iterations. Something in the works big? 
Well, we, we always have something in the works, Jim. Uh, we have several upgrades of our G6 system coming out over the next year. The direct-to-watch uh, version of the G6 will be out soon. The direct-to? Direct to the Apple Watch. Yep, that's what uh, I've been waiting for. It's coming. It is uh, coming. Okay, because remember Tim Cook said that his biggest contribution will be to healthcare. Oh, yeah, and, 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 and this tool is great for people with diabetes. Um, and then we'll have iterations of G6. We are also very heavily engaged in our next platform, the G7, which right. is our joint venture with Verily. Right. And, that, oh, and that's the alphabet that's, connect, that's part of Alphabet. And it takes a CGM and makes it much smaller. Uh, it really will be a device, uh, we think, for the ages and a platform well, forever. It's going to be wonderful. You guys, every iteration, the stock has moved up. Now, I saw something that wasn't mentioned by you in the conference call, but it was very interesting. Manufacturing. You're doing it in the Philippines, not China. A lot of guys talk a big game to move out of China. You've just picked a good place to work. Actually, uh, we're not manufacturing. They're moving our call centers. Call centers. Okay. Call so. centers. But we have picked a great place to work, and we have over 400 people there. Man, Why doesn't man, everyone man. use the Philippines? It's a gigantic, my father was there for a long time, it's a gigantic country with, with people who are dying for work, and everyone keeps going to China. How did you decide to move your call center to that country? We spent a lot of time studying that, and, and the group of workers that we found there are very good in a healthcare environment. There's a lot of healthcare emphasis in education, very compassionate on the phone with our patients, very detailed-oriented, and we felt that would be the best place to go and do that. We augment them with specialists in the United States. Okay. Uh, and, and it's a dual function, but we are moving a lot of those functions over there. Well, I salute you for thinking like that. Now, there's this outfit. Periodically, we hear about these outfits. They have these big, short situations. And uh, Look, I, I, I have mixed emotions about this stuff, frankly. Um, this is an outfit called Spruce Point. I'll give them credit. But they're talking about another company that I absolutely love, which is Abbott. Abbott's great, and you know that. And Miles oh, White's no terrific. And he, they're saying that the Libra, which is something I know is a very good device, coming down in price, it is finally going to be the... Um, the silver bullet to, to get Dexcom. And I've always felt that Abbott, like one particular part of the market, you have another, and never the twain. But are, is Abbott getting more serious about encroaching on Dexcom's turf? I think one of the reasons we've been so successful after the show is people uh, listen to the data from the various companies. It became very clear where Dexcom is. We're still at the top of, of this game. And with our no finger sticks uh, position, our interoperability, uh, for example, we have several digital initiatives going on with Walgreens right now to share data with them to make really? care for diabetes much better. We'll be working on that over the next... Do you uh, think you'll be years. working with CVS Aetna? Sure. Really? Uh, we we want to be where our patients want to be met. Not in our plant or not someplace else or not through some mail thing. Get the product to the patients where they can use it. Now, um, is there... This was the other one that they had. I just have to get this stuff answered because it drove no. the stock down. Okay. Dexcom has few avenues to near-term patient growth. Now, I, I, I didn't. Okay. I think that you had lots of them, but you know what? So answer. let's think about it. We grew okay. over fifty percent <laughs> last year, and we just announced fifty-one percent growth in the first quarter of this year. We still haven't launched our G six product into the Medicare market uh, as we've needed uh, to build up our capacity, but we will. That'll be a great growth opportunity opportunity for us. There are over 8 million people in Europe and the U.S. who are on intensive insulin therapy, and I assure you there's plenty of room for us to grow over the long term. Well, I mean, I've always felt, and this is a tough question to answer, but 
that it's a remarkable thing that you're independent, that there are probably a dozen companies that have wanted to buy you over the years, and that's why I find some of these questions fatuous. We love our independence, and we've always run our business to be successful on its own. Well, you've And been we'll remarkable. continue to do that. All right, and also thank you for turning us on to Tandem, because those guys seem pretty good, too. Oh, they're doing great. Uh, many of our partners are having great outcomes. They here. sure are. All right, well, you're delighted to, have, to come on. Thank you so much. Thank you, that's, Jim. Thank you. That's Kevin Sayer, Dexcom President, Chairman, and CEO. We have been behind this one, for, I guess, from the three. From a long time. <laughs> and we've been winning with them because of you. Stick with Kramer. All right, so Broadcom surprisingly really did guide down tonight. Hot tan. I'm so used to raising numbers or really saying some good things. Was negative. And a lot of that could be considered as Huawei, but a lot of it's just a broader slowdown. It's going to put tremendous pressure on the semiconductor uh, business. Uh, Dan Niles today earlier told you to short that group when he was on TV. Congratulations to Dan. That was a very good call, particularly ahead of the fact that Broadcom was such a hard thing to bet against. Not this time. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.